Welcome everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be with you for worship. Before we get started, let me announce a few things. And the first thing is that we will be having a congregational meeting immediately following this service um, for the purpose of voting to approve property acquisition for a second manse and the necessary steps to accomplish that goal. After the service ends, we'll have a five-minute break. And if you have any children in the nursery, please go get them before the meeting starts. We, we won't be having nursery during the meeting. Um, if you have any questions about this meeting, you can ask them in that five-minute break. Um, but otherwise, you can ask them during the meeting. Um, the youth are not meeting this evening, but we would invite them to help decorate and set up for VBS, if willing and able. That is open to everyone if you'd like to help. Um, it won't take very long, but we'll be setting up in here for Vacation Bible School. On that note, if you have not signed up your children for VBS, it starts tomorrow night at 5.30. You can come early and register them, or you can register them today online or with a paper form. But we would love for your kids to come. And if you're a parent and your kids are going, we would love for you to come Wednesday night uh, for the beginning portion, or for the whole time, really, for dinner, uh, to hear the message, and to be with your kids and see kind of what they've been learning. So we would love for you to come Wednesday for the final night. That is all we have to announce this morning. We'll take a few moments now as the music plays to gather our thoughts and ask God to help us to worship him this morning. Let's do that now. Would you please stand for the call to worship this morning from Psalm 99, verses 1 through 3. Here is God's call to us to worship. 
The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Let's worship God and praise his awesome name. We'll sing holy, 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 which is hymn number 100. Hymn 100. Let's worship together. God, you are holy, holy, holy. We come here humbly this morning to worship you, to praise your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit, would you be with us this morning? Would you open our ears to receive the gospel again? Would you open our hearts to be changed? Would you help us to be changed by your power? And would you empower this worship service that all we would do this morning would be honoring you, would be glorifying to you. 
we thank you for this time to worship this morning. Be with us powerfully, we pray. And would you lead us in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would remain standing and in your bulletin, you can take your bulletin and you'll see the confession of faith. And we are going to recite the Apostles' Creed, which we believe is a great summary of what God has taught us about himself through his word. Um, So would you read with me? Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. It's a privilege to be able to lead in prayer on Sunday mornings. I'd like to do that now. Would you please bow your heads with me and pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are the resurrection. You are the life. Death has no place near you. It has no power over you, and it has no power over your people who are united to you by faith. And Jesus, we remember when you said, as Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, He is not God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. What wonderful hope we have, Lord, not just that we will live eternally with you, but that we would know the God of the living face to face and be in your presence. We long to be in your presence, God. We gather to worship you, and in prayer we fellowship with you uniquely. You've given us this direct connection to you, And so we lift up our hearts to you. We humble ourselves before you and we cast all of our anxieties upon you and we ask for your peace. Lord, as we do this, as we cast our anxieties, our worries, our thoughts upon you, you promise to hear us and to answer us, to comfort us. Lord, as we think about those in our church, we are grateful and we are in worshiping, we worship you for the news uh, about Linda Wiggins and her successful surgery and how she is experiencing little pain and is able to move and walk around. Uh, that is such wonderful news, and we pray that 
her recovery would be swift and that she would experience uh, just wonderful mobility that she uh, has been longing for. God, we continue to pray for the Cross family as they work through all the logistics this month and next of moving. Lord, would you show them uh, just your blessing as they uh, pack up and as they say goodbye to many friends. Lord, would you show them your compassion as well? Would you make this transition smooth? God, we thank you for our youth and for our youth and our children We thank you especially for this past week for those who were able to go to RYM. God, we are grateful for the speakers that you placed there to preach the gospel, to teach your word. We we thank you for the fellowship that they experienced together. And God, we pray uh, most of all that what they have heard and experienced there this past week would carry on into this coming year and even beyond, that they would remember your goodness, and your grace in their lives. Lord, we pray that you would anoint the words of Heath this morning with the sweetness of the gospel of your grace. Would you powerfully move within this congregation? And may all that we think, say, and do be for your glory and for our good, Lord Jesus. We Again, are grateful for this time of prayer to be in fellowship with you by the power of your spirit. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We'll now take some time to give our tithes and offerings as the music plays. So as you have received from God, uh, we are called to give as we are able, and we'll do that now.
Please pray with me. God, we acknowledge that the things that we feel we deserve um, are often not right, that we deserve uh, your wrath for our sin, and yet you pour out your grace. You forgive us of our sin through your son Jesus and his life and death on the cross and his resurrection. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us hearts that acknowledge your grace in our lives and that you would allow us and enable us to give in response to your grace. So as we give our tithes and offerings, Lord, would you remind us of the gospel, how good you are to us even now in this service, and that through a heart changed by the gospel that we would look for many different ways to give of our time, of our money, of our energy, uh, for your glory, for your kingdom. So would you bless these tithes and offerings for that purpose, for your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue singing together with hymn 476, hymn 476, which is the light of the world is Jesus. Let's sing together.
Well, I'd invite you to turn with me now to the third chapter of the book of Exodus. And before we read it, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this Lord's Day, for giving us this opportunity uh, to dive into your word, to study it. And we pray, as the psalmist did, send out your light, send out your truth, let them lead us to your holy hill, and then we will go to your altar. To God, our exceeding joy, and give thanks to you. So, send out your light and your truth, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 of Exodus chapter 3. Hear God's word. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses! And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good land and broad land and a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign of For you, that I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to this People of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And this ends the reading of God's word.
So we're continuing uh, my initial series that I've called Transfigurational Living. And the main theme from 2 Corinthians 3 being that as Moses beheld the glory of God and was transformed into a new person, essentially, so as we behold the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are being transformed, transfigured, changed from one degree of glory to another. And so I wanted to go back to Moses. We're going to spend two weeks looking at Moses this week at the burning bush, next week at the parting of the Red Sea. And I want us to see how God transformed his life and how like he transformed Moses' life, he can transform ours. And my friend Jeremy Beck, who's a minister in Alabama, has a saying he uses all the time. He talks about tole lege moments. Tole lege moments. And what he means by that is going back to the story of St. Augustine and his conversion to Christianity, a conversion his mother had been praying for for a long time. St. Augustine was sitting in a courtyard, and he heard children in the distance chanting, singing, tole lege, tole lege. And in Latin, that phrase means take up and read. And Augustine said he had never heard that phrase chanted by children. He wasn't aware of a children's game that involved that phrase, but it intrigued him nonetheless. And he happened to have a copy of the book of Romans sitting nearby. And he said, well, they're saying take up and read, and I have a book, so I'll take up and read. And so he just flipped the book open, and his eyes fell upon Romans thirteen fourteen, which says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And Augustine had been living a blatantly sinful life. He was quite the womanizer. And he took this as a direct message. It struck him in the heart. Light bulbs started to glow. His heart became warm. And he was a new man on the spot. He saw the glory of Christ in that passage. And it changed him. That's what a tole lege moment is. It's when something happens that we see the glory of Christ and it transforms us on the spot. It's when God interrupts our normal patterns of life and changes us. That's what happens to Moses in our passage. It's not tole lege, but it's a burning bush, and it's this gigantic interruption in his life. And Moses is around 80 years old when this happens. That intrigues me. You know, Abraham was an older gentleman when God called to him and said, go to a land you've never seen. And here's Moses, 80 years old. He's a shepherd, probably contemplating retirement. And out of this bush, God calls to him and says, you have a new purpose for your life. So let's look at this passage and see how this happened to Moses. And hopefully we'll see how it can happen to us as well. Three points to consider that. What we see in the burning bush, what we hear from the burning bush, and what we can do with the burning bush. So number one, what we see in the burning bush. So verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So what we see in this burning bush is something that caused Moses to stop, to look, and to pay attention. Something intrigued him about this burning bush to the point that he stared at it. The bush is saying to him, and it's saying to us, stop. Look, behold, if you see a trash can on fire, you probably don't behold it. You notice it, 
but you don't behold it. Well, Moses says, I'm going to stop, and I'm going to look at this thing. I'm going to behold it. It's a simple concept, but I figured out over the years that people who see the most things, the most interesting things, are people who actually look, people who actually stop to pay attention to what they're seeing. Uh, Barry Hanna, Mississippi, author who was over the fine arts program at Ole Miss for a number of years before he died. This is a quote from him. He says, Concentration is what the artist is about. He can look and look and look and look. He carries no brief. He will tell you everything he sees. Writers maybe just stare like a cow. They just stare. Most people don't stare. And what you've got with Moses here, he's staring. He stares to the point, and I know that you know this because it's not just that he sees a burning bush. He looks at this burning bush long enough to know, okay, it's not just burning. It's also not being consumed. The, the branches, the thistles, the thorns are not serving as fuel for the fire. The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And so Moses says to himself, Moses said, so we, we actually get in it. He's talking to himself. He says, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So Moses looks at the burning bush, and he's interested in it enough that he starts not only looking, but now he's talking to himself, saying, I'll turn aside and see this great sight. I'll get a closer look. Uh, the words, words for sight are being used repeatedly in the passage. The angel appears. That's a vision word. Moses looks and behold, and says, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. Get, get the point. Looking. He's looking. He's looking. Like a cow. Just staring. But also thinking. So this is the main principle that I want you to see from the passage today. And I thought about, I was working on this sermon this past week, and I thought, I'm about to start an eight-week series on the burning bush. But I'm not going to do that. I want to zero in on one main thing. If you look at the life of many of the great people of Scripture, they were constantly being interrupted by God, and they were open to those interruptions to the point not only did they look, not only did they think, but they also acted. They lived interruptible lives. We are weird, you know, we find ourselves in this cultural moment, so to speak, with a weird relationship with interruptions. Because on the one hand, we hate interruptions, and we don't want to be interrupted. But on the other hand, we carry this thing around in our pocket that's constantly interrupting us, and we're okay with that. And what you see with Moses, no cell phone interruption. He's out in the desert. But he's open to being interrupted by God. He's open to turn. When God beckons to him, he turns aside, and he says, I'm going to behold this. I'm going to get a closer look at what's happening here. And it's the same thing with all the other great people of Scripture. I mean, Abraham, Jordan Peterson says, I, I love the way he summarizes Abraham's calling. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you're an old man. It's time to move out of your parents' basement and do something with your life. And Abraham does. He goes, he beckons, he beckons, he hearkens to the call, leaves everything he has, everything he's ever known, and goes on something like a 1,300-mile journey, a walk, long walk with God to get to the promised land. You think of somebody like Peter. You know, where does... He, Peter puts down his net, and he says, I've got to go see the Messiah. You think of somebody like Paul. He gets knocked off of his horse and spends the rest of his life following Christ. They were interruptible. When God said, tole lege, when he said, take up and read, when he said, come follow me, they did. 
I have to stop what I'm doing, turn aside, and pay attention to what's happening. When that's our posture, that's how God works. It's how he almost always works. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, so, I became very convicted personally last year, late last year that I needed a drastic rehaul of my prayer life. I needed to renovate my prayer life. That it wasn't up to what it needed to be, especially as, as a pastor. Well, the thing is, a few years, about three years before that, I had had a church member come to me and ask me if I would teach a Sunday school series on prayer and how to pray. And my answer to him was, when I figure out how to pray, I will then teach on it. Well, here it is, three years later. That could have been a totally leggy moment, and I could have took it, taken it right then. I need to start working on my prayer life because that's embarrassing to say to a church member, I don't feel like I understand prayer well enough to teach on it. But a few years later, finally, that takes, and I get convicted that I need to work on my prayer life. And so I decided at that time, as I was working on it, that I would finally teach that long overdue Sunday school series. And it made a drastic impact on my life. But I want just two of the most important things I learned while teaching on prayer and changing the way that I prayed. And we're going to do a week on prayer during the series, by the way. Here's the two things. One is that prayer is not you interrupting God. It's you allowing God to interrupt you. It's making room for him to have his way and his will in your life and you being open to what he's doing. It's turning aside and saying to yourself, I have to go and see this great sight. I have to go and see the Lord. The other principle that I learned is this, and it's from Martin Lloyd-Jones. And again, I'd read this years ago. It's in his book, Preaching and Preachers. But he laid down as a law that you must obey every impulse that you have to pray. If you get the impulse to pray, never fight it off because that's quenching the spirit. If you feel like you need to pray, on the spot, you drop what you're doing, and you pray. Take that as a totally legay moment and go with it. Don't fight it. Because it's so often in these little moments of turning aside and allowing God to distract you that he's going to transfigure you. I can't tell you how many times in my life like, I've known I needed to pray for somebody, probably on the spot, whether it was on the phone, whether it was in person, and I'm, it's just, it's embarrassing to say, can I pray for you right now? But living a distractible life means we have to be open to these things. In Song of Solomon 5, there's a place where the beloved knocks on the door of the Shunammite woman, and she's already gone to bed, and so she's drowsy, she's got herself cleaned up for the night, she doesn't want to get up and get her feet dusty, and so she stays in the bed for a few moments pondering, should I go to that door and answer as my beloved knocks? And she waits, she hesitates, she finally goes to the door, and by the time she gets there, he's gone. And the Puritan Thomas Watson takes a principle from this. He said, when the devil finds a person sleeping, he enters. But when Christ finds a person sleeping, he's gone. Be sensitive when he is calling out to you. Be interruptible. So number one, that's a principle we see in the burning bush. Be interruptible by God. Here's number two, what we hear in the burning bush. So let's go back to Moses' interruption. Moses turns aside. The voice of God speaks out of the bush, and that voice calls Moses to the adventure of his life. But after Moses realized that God was appearing to him, did you notice he was terrified and he hid his face? 
It's a theme we see. God shows up in glory, and our tendency is to hide. Why? Because I think Moses thinks in this passage, he's toast. God's going to zap him. You can't stand him. He's already been told, take the shoes off your feet. This is holy ground. Moses is terrified. But the good news of the burning bush was that the fire of God wasn't going to consume Moses. Instead, just like that bush, God was going to set Moses on fire, and it wasn't going to consume him. He was going to burn for God before the people of Israel and before Pharaoh with the message of God's glory. How is it possible that we can approach a God who is holy, a God who is a consuming fire, and not be consumed? That's the passage forces you to ask that. And the ultimate answer is that Jesus Christ, this very holy God, came to this earth in order to be consumed by the wrath of God for us and in our place. In Isaiah 43, verse 2, a very famous passage, God says to his people, When you go through the fire, I will be with you. You will not be burned, and the flames will not consume you. How how is that possible? Because he's with us. And of course, when the angel announces the birth of Jesus, what does he say his name shall be, aside from Jesus? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus Christ is coming as a human being, the God-man, to be consumed by the wrath of God in our place so that we can know that God is with us and he will not burn us. The fire will not consume us. There's a great principle in this passage. This is why I say I could spend eight weeks because this is where we get a little deep into the text. In verse 12, Moses asks God his name. And you've heard, I am who I am. You've probably heard that all of your life. But in Hebrew, God says an interesting phrase. It's hayah, hayah. Now, if you want to remember that word, hayah, just think karate chop, right? Hayah. Um, I had to do that. I'm sorry. Um, Hayah, hayah. I am who I am. Or it could be translated, I will be who I will be. Most people miss this in the passage, but we need to see it. I learned this from uh, my Hebrew professor in seminary, and it had a big impact on my life. So the question is, okay, God says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Hayah, hayah. Well, who will he be? Who is he? We're still left asking this. But the answer is actually given, us, given to us in the previous verse, in verse 11. Moses says to God, quote, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, but I will be with you. Take a wild guess what the Hebrew word there for I will be is. It's hayah. He's saying, I am the God who will be with you. Moses, I'm with you. I will be with you. And if Israel asks you who I am, who sent, them to, who sent you to them? You say, the one who's with us. And the one who will be with us. That's the answer. The one who will be with you in the plagues. The one who will be with you in the Passover. The one who will be with you when you stand in front of Pharaoh. The one who will be with you in the Red Sea. The one who will be with you in the wilderness. The one who's always with you. The one who's never forgotten you. The one who will never leave you or forsake you. The one who hears your cries when you groan out to God because you're suffering. Here's the point. God's interruptions aren't meant to make us miserable. They're meant to remind us that he's with us. And see, that's the principle I learned about prayer that was more important than anything. It's like I I come to God in prayer and it's like, oh, Lord, I've sinned today. Um, 
I've offended your holiness today. That's one way of coming. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I pray that all the time. But the most important part of prayer is just you stand before God and say, I can't believe it, but you're with me. It's for him to, as one author said, the purpose of prayer is to go and hear the Lord say, you are my beloved. It's to remind us that God is with us. Robert Murray McShane, this is a paraphrase, but he said something like, if I could hear Jesus Christ praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't be afraid of a thousand armies. But he is praying for me. You, you don't hear it, but he is. And so why should we be afraid of a thousand armies? See, that's the purpose of prayer. We remind ourselves, Romans 8, the Spirit is interceding for us. Hebrews, Christ is interceding for us. We're coming to hear God say, I am with you. Moses hears that message from that burning bush and it takes this meek, humble, terrified man and empowers him to stand down Pharaoh, the most powerful man of the world, and hold up his staff to part the Red Sea. If we hear God saying, I'm with you, what can it do for us? How can we respond? Well, there's a lot there, right? But let's, I want to look at two things. This is point three. What can we do with the burning bush today? Here's the first thing. Be on the lookout for tole lege moments, for burning bush moments, when God is looking to transfigure and transform your life. And when they happen, cherish them. Remember them. Don't forget them. So I found an interesting verse this week that I'd never paid attention to. And I said, I will turn aside and see this great thing here. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, the very end, second to last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, 40 years after the burning bush, Moses is giving his final speech to the children of of Israel. His final benediction, he's pronouncing over them. And in verse 16 of Deuteronomy 33, he pronounces this over Israel. The favor of, may it be with you, so to speak, the favor of him who dwells in the bush. It's a really interesting phrase, the one who dwells in the bush. The word dwells is the word we get Shekinah from, the Shekinah glory, when God manifests his glory. It means when, he, when, God, when the God of heaven chooses to dwell or to manifest his glory on the earth. The glory of God dwelling in the bush, it's a participle. And the most literal translation I can come up with is, him whose dwelling is in the bush. John Calvin translates it, the dweller in the bush. But many of the English translations, if you look, and I, I texted a friend, about, a preacher friend, and said, what do, you, what do you make of this phrase, him who dwells in the bush? And his first response was, well, the NIV says, dwelt in the bush. And so does the King James. Dwelt in the bush, past tense. In Hebrew, it's not in past tense. It's an active participle. Why do they put it in the past tense? Well, I think it's because you have a hard time thinking, this is 40, 40 years have passed. Why is Moses calling God the God who dwells in the bush? I mean, he dwelt in the bush a long time ago. He appeared in the bush. Why would he say he's dwelling in the bush now? Here's my answer. Here's, I'm just taking a shot at it. 
Moses was so struck and transformed by that moment at the burning bush 40 years ago that he always remembered it. He can't get it out of his mind. Have you ever thought about the word remember and what it actually means? Two parts. Re-member. Well, what does re mean? It's to do something over again. It's a redo, right? What does member mean? Well, you're members of this church. Our members are our limbs. They're our arms. They're our legs. And so like, the actual idea of remember is to take something that's been torn apart and to put it back together. It's like Mr. Potato Head, right? You stick the arms on there. Put it together. That's what we're meant to do with memory. Moses kept putting that memory of the burning bush back together in his mind over and over again to, to the point that it was just as present to him 40 years later as it was 40 years prior. You know, when Jesus says in the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me, it's not saying that the supper is a memorial. It's not going to a funeral. He's calling us to take those events of the cross that happened nearly 2,000 years ago and put them back together in our minds so that it's real again. So what I'm saying is this. Moses cherished his conversion to Christ. He cherished that moment at the burning bush, and he would not let go of it. And I was convicted about that personally this past week when I thought I used to. I was converted in October of 2000. And I used to make it a practice every year in October that I would write a thank you to God for calling that. And I haven't done that. I probably haven't done it in seven or eight years. And so I thought, looking at Moses recount his conversion, about my own, that I gave my heart to Christ, that I had my first tole lege moment, my first burning bush moment, so to speak, in the, you know, the guest room, guest bedroom at my grandmother's house. I called my grandmother Grandma Gray because my mom's side of the family were the Grays, my dad's side the Crosses. I called her Grandma Gray. And I thought to myself this past week, God dwelt in Grandma Gray's guest room. And he is still the God who dwells in Grandma Gray's guest room as long as I keep remembering. As long as I keep putting that back together in my heart and in my mind. He's the God of all of our tole lege moments. And I want to encourage you. There are memories you haven't dug up for a long time. Good memories. Moments when God revealed himself to you. Moments when God called out to you like fire from a burning bush. And God is saying, remember it. Put it back together and use it as fuel. Fuel for what? Here's the second part of this point. So that you can burn. So that you can shine. So that you can glow for Christ. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on Deuteronomy 33 about God dwelling in the bush. It's quite an interesting a sermon to read on that one phrase, God who dwells in the bush. This is one thing he said. What a condescension for God to dwell in a bush. Had the eternal dwelt in a cedar, it would have been a stoop. But for him to dwell in the uncouth-shaped, worthless shrub, a bush, oh, this was matchless. Oh, beloved, May every one of us know what it is for God to condescend 
to dwell with us. And we are now the bushes. What does he mean by that? We are now the bushes. We're the burning bushes. How? Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost, what happens? Flames of fire appeared above the heads of the disciples and they began to speak. They became burning bushes. God began to glow in them and they began to speak. That's why Jesus says to the church, you are the light of the world. That's monumental. He doesn't say, I am the light of the world in that passage. He says, you are the light of the world. It's not because we are light in and of ourselves, but it's because we're now lamps. We're reflectors. We're luminaries, Spurgeon called us, who are called to reflect the light of Jesus to this world because, and we can do this because, his presence is with us, his spirit is in us. So we are called to burn without being consumed. John Wesley, one of my favorite quotes about preaching, he said, I catch on fire and people come to watch me burn. That's meant to be our lives. To catch the fire of Christ and to burn in front of the world. And this doesn't have to be, it doesn't mean we're all preachers, like explicitly. But remember, we're all called to burn. I'll give you a little example of how easy this can be for someone to burn in a way that can be a burning bush moment for somebody else because it happened to me. When I was going up for my ordination exam years ago, I was slightly nervous. Uh, I had nearly had a panic attack the night before. And I've had one before. They're not pretty. And I was talking myself out of it. And I'm sitting there at nearly the front pew at, or seat at Twin Lakes. And I'm just lost in my thoughts. Right? I'm, I'm going through, I'm rehearsing answers. Uh, what is justification? You know, these sorts of things. And an older minister who I respected snuck up behind me in the row behind me. And he put his hand like right here on the back of my neck, the way a parent comforts a child. And he leaned down and he said, Heath, Jesus loves you. And he's still going to love you after this, no matter what happens. And the peace of God which passes understanding guarded my hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, through that whole exam, and it felt like I floated. But see, you know what that man did? Very simple act. He was a burning bush. He was glowing. He was shining with the light of Christ. And that light transferred to me. It was a tole lege moment. It was a burning bush moment. And I think back on that. I remember it. I put it back together. It's like every time I do, I want to take the shoes off my feet because I feel like I'm standing on holy ground. Paraphrase. Martin Lloyd-Jones said something like, every time we see one Christian truly love another one, we should take our shoes off because the light of God is shining there. What that minister did for me, you've had others do it for you. You've had burning bush moments. All God is calling us to do today is remember it and to be interruptible because he might want to do it again. And can we take those things that God has done for us, those moments, can we create those moments for others? Let us pray.
Father, thank you for the fact that the light of Jesus Christ has shined into our lives. May it shine afresh and anew today, and may it cause us to shine so that others may see your glory and be transformed. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing hymn, which is hymn number 528. Number 528. Amen. God bless you all. Just a reminder, we are going to have a congregational meeting five minutes after the benediction. So if you need to get anything done in the meantime, please do so. Uh, I'm not going to moderate the meeting just for the purpose of how involved I am in in the decision that's being made. Uh, But now uh, we're not leaving quite yet with God's blessing, but receive God's blessing nonetheless. Now, grace, mercy, and peace be with you all. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And may the glory of God shine in our lives like burning bushes. Amen.